The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So uh, we are in the last couple weeks of a series that we've been in called Vocatio, uh, which is Latin for calling. And in this series, we've been looking at God's call in the different spheres of our life. And so we looked at God's call as, as parents and in the workplace. And last week, Pastor Pete was here and he talked about uh, God's call as a leader, how each of us are, are called to lead in, in a variety of ways. Uh, and this week, we're going to look at, at what it means for us to respond to God's call as a citizen in this country. And, uh, and I know, we're, we're a little nervous. We're about to break every social more there is for polite conversation, right? We're going to talk about religion and politics, so let's just get ready to be uncomfortable, okay? Uh, we, we should make it through okay this morning. My, my, hope, my hope is to offend nobody by offending everybody, okay? So, so if you're offended at one point, think like, ah, oh, well, the next few sentences are probably making that guy uncomfortable, all right? So you just, just hang in there, bear with me through it, and we'll, uh, we'll plunge through this together, right? Because uh, politics is super volatile in our culture, right? You go from, from Bill O'Reilly on the one hand to, to Rachel Maddow on the other. And you just can't have, like, healthy political dialogue anymore, it doesn't seem like. You drive around this city, Leander, Austin, whatever, for, like, just a half an hour and read bumper stickers, man. And you'll just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy on both sides of the, the, the aisle, on the right and the left. It's just these, these crazy things. And so how do we as Christians then enter into this explosive political landscape in a way that's faithful to the calling we've received from God? How do we do that? Well, this is a topic that's actually uh, piqued my interest for many moons. Um, when I was in high school, I've mentioned this before, but I was really into the, uh, the Detroit punk scene underground. Um, and uh, it's cool. And, and big thing in the punk scene is, is, is anarchy. Like that's kind of part of the culture there that you, you're supposed to be this advocate. Thank you. Peter's very excited. Um, that's our guitar player this morning. Um, and so you're supposed to be, you know, all about anarchy. And anarchy, of course, is a system of government that is no system of government. It's to, to overthrow any sort of rule, any sort of authority, and it's just self-rule. And everyone just kind of, it's chaos, and, and they live for themselves. So that's what you're supposed to be about. And so in high school, that was my thing. Like if I ever got like an A on a paper, because we all know anarchists get A's, I'd, um, I'd, I'd turn that into an A, like the anarchy symbol. And then like um, I'd read like Noam Chomsky and try to talk to my friends about it. And we talked about how Che Guevara didn't go far enough as if we knew what we were talking about. So it was just very odd, odd time in life. And uh, I remember I went to, uh, to see one of my favorite bands, Anti-Flag. And I came back from the show of seeing Anti-Flag and my mom, my sweet, conservative, pastor's wife, Midwestern mom, uh, you know, pulled me aside and said, uh, now Gabe, uh, anti-flag, I'm not sure I like what they stand for. And I said, well, mom, that's because you're part of the system. Uh, so, so I know, you know, like when Titus is a teenager, God is going to pay me back tenfold, right? And I know that's happening. Um, but my mom said, well, what do you think Jesus thinks about this? What do you think Jesus thinks about you being an anarchist? And I said, oh, he loves it, mom. He's an anarchist too. And she said, really? Well, what do you say about this text? And she pointed me to Matthew 22. Uh, That's the text we just read. Now, I'll tell you that story to point out two things. First of all, yes, pastors' families are just as weird as you thought they were. Uh, And secondly, uh, my mom was right. Like, when you say, like, how, how do I engage this world as a citizen? How do I engage this world uh, politically and as a Christian? This is confusing and it's hard. This is the place to look, man. Matthew 22, Jesus' answer here is the place for us to go. 
Okay, so let's, let's get going. We'll dig into it. We're in Matthew 22, verses 15 and 16, and it says this. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Now, the gospel writer Matthew is cueing us into something pretty intentionally here. He says, listen, the Pharisees are trying to entangle Jesus in his words. They're they're setting a trap for him. And so they send their disciples, and then this is key for us to notice, they send the Herodians also to ask Jesus a question. Now, why is that so important? So, So on the one hand, you have the Pharisees coming to ask Jesus a question. On the other hand, you have the Herodians coming to ask Jesus a question. In this, in this day and age, those were political opposites. Couldn't have been more opposite. So on the one hand, you have the Pharisees who opposed Roman rule. They hated Roman occupation of Israel. On the other hand, you had the Herodians who came to power because of Rome. And so they love Roman rule. They want Rome to be around forever. And so you're at the opposite ends of the political spectrum, and both of these groups come to Jesus with a question. And they join forces to see if they can trap Jesus, see where he fits in the political landscape. And so they come and they ask him this question in verse 17. They say, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Now, they asked Jesus if it's lawful for them to pay taxes to Caesar. And this is a tricky question for a variety of reasons. Uh, First of all, this, this tax was not just any tax. Like, it wasn't just a, a tax on the income of, your, of their goods. Like, you know what kind of tax it was because of the coin that Jesus asks for, a denarius. And this was a head tax that had been introduced 25 years earlier by Caesar. And the only purpose of this tax that people had to pay, this wasn't a lot of money, but they had to pay this denarius for the privilege of being a subject of Caesar's. It's a very controversial tax. That's the only purpose of it, was to pay this money for the privilege of being a subject of Caesar's. And it's important also to know that that 25 years when the tax was initiated, uh, there was a revolt that took place led by a man named Judas the Galilean. Okay, now Judas the Galilean, this is what he did for the revolt. He called on all the Jews in Israel. He said, hey, don't pay the tax. And then he went in with a group of armed men and he cleared out the temple. And then he said, we're going to bring about the kingdom of God. And he sought to bring about the kingdom of God. So Judas the Galilean, that's what he did but he was crushed by Rome. Now it's 25 years later. Jesus has asked this question. Let's just think about Jesus. Jesus is from Galilee. Jesus the Galilean. He's just cleaned out the temple and his entire ministry is based on bringing about the kingdom of God. He's always talking about the kingdom of God. And so he's got two out of the three things matching. And so for these Herodians and these Pharisees, they're saying, Is this guy a revolutionary? Is this guy the same way as Judas the Galilean? The only thing we don't know about him is how he feels about this tax. And so they're asking Jesus a very tough question. They've got him in a tight spot. Because if he says, no, don't pay the tax. Forget Rome, don't pay the tax. Well, then he's just like Judas the Galilean. He's got people following him. The revolt's on. Hunger Games Part 3, we're going, right? Um, But if he says, yes, pay the tax... Then the people who've been hearing him talk about the kingdom of God will just be like, wow, it's empty words. Did he really mean to be talking about God's healing, rule, and reign? Does he really believe in the kingdom of God coming here? 
and they'll just think it's empty words. So he's in a tough spot. And some of you ask, well, like, why? Like, why couldn't you just say, yes, pay the tax? I mean, isn't the kingdom of God just, like, inner peace in your heart, or isn't it just some place you go to when you die? No. Uh, the, the only reason we think that, the only reason we ask that, is because we read the Bible through Western post-enlightenment eyes. And uh, so oftentimes we read about the, the kingdom of God, and so we'll over-spiritualize it. And we'll say, well, it just means that God lives and rules and he gives you peace inside your heart. That's, that's what it means. It's about some place you go to when you die. But listen, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's not some sort of abstract, over-spiritualized reality. The Bible's clear that the kingdom of God deals with real poverty. It deals with real injustice. It deals with, with real hunger. The Bible's clear the kingdom of God is real. And so whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, that's what he's talking about, a tangible physical, bringing about real change. And so if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, he can't possibly be about the kingdom. And so he'll lose the people. But if he says no, then he starts a revolution, a violent revolution that he's not intending to start and will ultimately get crushed. So it's a tight spot. They're asking him a no-win question. It's like when you're in junior high, right, and that kid came up to you and he said, uh, hey, so do your parents know you're stupid? How do you answer that, right? You say, yes. You admit to being stupid. You say, no. Oh, so your parents just don't know yet, right? I mean, that's like, that's where you end up. So how, how do you answer that question? It's tough. It's tough. It's no in question, but Jesus answers it brilliantly. Uh, look with me at verses 20 through 21. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now Jesus' answer here is brilliant because in it he refuses three things. He refuses political simplicity, he refuses political complacency, and he refuses political primacy. Okay? Political simplicity, political complacency, political primacy. And uh, let's go through this, right? And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, that's actually what we need to do too. As, as citizens of... of um, of this country, as, as people who follow Jesus, we need to refuse political simplicity, political complacency, political primacy. And so let's start with political simplicity. These guys, they come to Jesus and they want a simple yes or no answer from him. Jesus, are you for this tax or not? Are you for the Herodians or the Pharisees? Yes or no? Jesus, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? Which one is it, Jesus? Yes or no? And Jesus doesn't give us a simple answer. He doesn't give a simple answer. I remember uh, when I was in college, I, I took a course on uh, Christianity and politics, and it was, it was really fun. And in this course, we, we read books from all these, these different perspectives. And I remember reading from, from people on the, the Christian right, and they talk about issues um, like, like abortion and the definition of marriage and, and prayer in school, and they just couldn't fathom in their books. They couldn't fathom how any good Bible-believing Christian could vote for anyone but a conservative Republican. Then as the course went on, we'd read these books from people on the Christian left. Yes, that exists, Texas. And, uh, and uh, they, they talked about uh, care for the poor, and they talked about racial justice, and they talked about being stewards of God's good green earth. And they just couldn't fathom how any good Bible-believing Christian could vote for anyone but a liberal Democrat. Listen, does scripture talk about life beginning at conception and what marriage is and praying to God at all times at all places? Yes, it does. Does it also talk about caring for the poor and racial justice and, and being stewards of God's creation? Yes, it does. 
You see, a Christian faithful to their calling as a citizen must avoid political simplicity. Don't do to Jesus what he wouldn't do to himself. Don't put Jesus in your political camp. Don't do it. He wouldn't do that. He's much more complicated than that. Don't simplify him. Don't reduce him. And some of you may be thinking, okay, pastor, right on, brother. You made those guys uncomfortable. Okay, well, now it's your turn, okay? Uh, Thinking like, oh, man, Christians, you're right. They've been too political. They need to just pull out, just focus on spiritual things, and just do that stuff over there. Jesus doesn't allow that either. He's against political complacency as well, right? And we see this in his answer. Uh, because Jesus asked for a coin, he asked for a denarius, and we actually know a lot about denariuses or denarii uh, because we have a lot of them. Um, you can see them in museums. I was even, I was looking this up online. I think you can buy them on eBay. Wild. Uh, and so anyways, if you can pull it up, Kat. Uh, so Jesus asks for this coin, and this coin he says, whose image and whose inscription is on it? Now we know the image is that of Tiberius Caesar. Uh, that's who would have been the Caesar at the time of Jesus. And the inscription Uh, would have said this. It would have said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the god Augustus. And then on the back side right there, it says Pontifus, that's a kid who worships here, Pontus Maximus, um, which, which means high priest. High priest. And so it would have said, Caesar, son of God, high priest. Now, who else calls himself that? Right? Jesus does. Jesus does. And so Jesus holds up this coin It has the image of Caesar that says, King, Son of God, High Priest. And he doesn't say, why doesn't it say one nation under God? He doesn't say that. He says, whose image is this? Oh, it's Caesar's. It's his? Okay, give it to him. Give it to him. But then he says the most amazing thing ever. He says, but give to God what is God's. And here's why that's huge. Because the image on there is Caesar's. So he says, give to Caesar what's his image. Give to God what's God's image. And what's God's image? Who makes, who's made in God's image? Every human being. You are. Every person. So he says, listen, you want to give Caesar his taxes? That's fine, but he doesn't get your ultimate allegiance. God gets your ultimate allegiance. It's revolutionary. The government, the nation, does not receive your ultimate allegiance. Your creator does. And so Jesus is actually going even further than what meets the eye here. You see, when the Herodians ask if they should pay this tax, the word they use for pay is a word like gift. Like, should we give it like a gift? And Jesus changes the verb when he answers, and he says, render unto Caesar. What does it mean to render? It means to, to pay back what he's due. Pay back what he's owed. And so what exactly is a tyrant like Caesar deserve? His money? Sure. But doesn't he also deserve a little pushback? Doesn't he also deserve some critique as well? The uh, brilliant New Testament scholar N.T. Wright comments on Jesus' answer here, and he says this. Jesus is refusing to say no and thus encourage a revolt. And he refuses to say yes and just be a patriotic, good, quiet, tax-paying citizen. You see, Jesus is refusing political complacency and he's refusing political primacy. He's saying you can't just opt out of the messiness of politics. And at the same time, he's saying you can't let politics and the nation be ultimate. There's a revolutionary answer for people at this time. This is mind-blowing. And so that's why we see in verse 22, the people are blown away. It says this, when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. 
And so it's amazing about Jesus' answer is he's saying, listen, in the narrow sense about a, a political party, about a political platform, about any sort of particularities, he's saying, listen, I'm not, I'm not political. But then in the broader sense, Jesus is saying, I'm incredibly political. I'm bringing about the revolution to end all revolutions. I'm bringing about real change. I'm bringing about the kingdom of God. You see, when we consider our, our calls as citizens to our particular nation, uh, there's an incredibly important doctrine that, that we're going to work through here. Today's a little heady. Sorry, you guys hanging in there? We good? Okay, awesome. Um, it, there's an important doctrine that we need to work through, and we call it the two kingdoms or the two realms. And we see it kind of set up here, and then uh, St. Paul unpacks it more in, in Romans 13. And uh, so, by the way, you know, whatever emails I get after this, um, we'll, we'll just be... Uh, We'll be walking through that. Um, so, uh, but the way it works is, is like this. First of all, what we have to do is recognize God is in control of everything, right? Everything, everywhere, every government, everywhere. Anything that's instituted happens within his will. And so what we see then is that God maintains relative order. He maintains relative justice, relative peace, relative human flourishing through these governments. And we call that the kingdom of the left. That God works through that, we call it the kingdom of the left. And that's kingdom one. And so that's why we as Christians can and should pay taxes, participate in government, pray for our leaders, celebrate Memorial Day, because God rules through the left-hand kingdom. So we render unto Caesar. We give him his due. We give him his coin. But then we recognize, hey, listen, Jesus really did start the kingdom of God. He really launched a new reality here. And as Christians, we're actually transferred into that kingdom. And it's between the now and the not yet. That that kingdom will one day come fully and the hungry will be fed and we'll beat our swords into plowshares. And all nations will come and bow the knee to the true king. We live between the now and the not yet. And so as Christians, we fully transferred into that kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so we live for that kingdom primarily. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. But we see clearly in our text that being transferred into the kingdom of the right, the kingdom of God, doesn't mean that we just walk away from this kingdom over here. But in fact, we now engage in this kingdom on the left as citizens of the kingdom of the right. Following that? We good? Okay, awesome. So if we look at it this way, it actually helps us avoid both political complacency and political primacy. So, um, for example, political complacency, uh, the the Nazis came to power in Germany, a country that at the time was made up predominantly of Christians, uh, Lutheran Christians. Uh, with the exception of a few folks, people didn't resist this. This obviously evil government, this obviously evil force in the world. And they said, oh, well, that's just left-hand kingdom. God's just going to take care of it, so we'll just go to church and we'll ignore the suffering of those around us. And see, so they became politically complacent because they forgot that they're first in the kingdom of the right, and that means that they need to be standing up for those that are being oppressed political complacency, and that's no good. But then this doctrine also helps us avoid political primacy. I remember I was working at a church, and uh, I was talking to this lady, and, and she was really upset, and she said, it was during Hurricane Katrina, and she was like, you know, Hurricane Katrina happened because this country has abandoned God and the Constitution. And I said, well, I, I don't know if it really works that way. And, um, and I said, and, and I don't think God's that upset about, you know, the U.S. Constitution. I can't imagine he spends a lot of time thinking about it. And she, she was just, like, taken back by that comment. She said, what? Don't you think the Constitution is inspired by God? 
Friends, there is one document in the entire world, in the entire history of the cosmos that's actually inspired by God. That's the Holy Scriptures. That's the Bible. That's it. But see, for this woman, her nationalism, her patriotism, her politics became of such primacy that she equated a man-made document with the word of God. Right? She failed to recognize that as Christians, we live for a different kingdom. We have a different alternate allegiance, ultimate allegiance. And see, I'm convinced one of the biggest idols in our nation is our nation. We need to recognize that. Because, friends, rulers, political parties, countries, constitutions, governments are not primary. They don't get our ultimate allegiance. Only Jesus Christ does. That's why we call him Lord. It's a political title. He's got the actual authority. He's the one we actually respond to. And yet, we're still called to faithfully be citizens in the country that God has placed us. We're still called to do that. And so how do we do that? We do that with the posture of the kingdom of the right. We live into the kingdom of the left with the posture of the kingdom of the right. And so how do we do that? What does that look like? Luke chapter 6, Jesus describes what his kingdom is about. Listen to these words. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It's a place where those who are poor, who don't have power, are blessed. It's a place where those who are hungry, who've been unsuccessful, are valued. It's a place where those who weep, who are uncomfortable in this world, are comforted and cared for. We've got as a place where, where those who, who are hated, who are not well liked by people, are loved and celebrated. You see, all the kingdoms of the world, politics is about what? It's about power, success, comfort, and recognition. But see, Jesus' kingdom completely flips that says, you think this is important, actually it's this. You think this is the way to go, actually it's this. See, so those of us who've been transferred into God's kingdom, man, we're not living for power or success or comfort or recognition. We don't live for those things. Because we know that the world's true king will one day return. And he'll bring about real justice, and he'll bring about real healing, and he'll bring about real flourishing. And he'll put an end to poverty and destruction and sadness. And at the same time, we don't sit around twiddling our thumbs waiting for this to happen. But instead, we seek to engage the political world with his kingdom values. We engage the political world for the sake of others. And you say, okay, well, how do you do that? Is that right or left? Not going to answer that. All right? Our mindset is to engage the political world for the sake of other peoples. Because we know that God maintains relative peace and relative justice through the earthly kingdom. So how do we do that? How do, you, how do you say, okay, well, how do I get myself into a place where I live for the sake of others? How do I engage politics? It's such a fiery topic. How do I do that for the sake of other people? You do it when you recognize what the king you serve has done for you. You do it when you recognize what 
the king you serve has done for you. When you see that Jesus went to the cross for you, that he gave up his power, he gave up his authority, he gave up his riches so that God could bring you into his kingdom. That you'd be brought into his upside down kingdom. When it sinks in, that you bring nothing but sin and poverty and brokenness into God's kingdom and yet he welcomes you with open arms with the riches of his mercy because Jesus laid down his life for you, when that sinks in, when you really live into that reality, it only makes sense that you would engage this world, that you'd engage your citizenship, that you'd engage our nation as a servant of all. You see, it makes no sense for a Christian to demonize those people over there. Because for a Christian who understands the gospel, we get that the enemy isn't on the left The enemy isn't on the right. The enemy has been inside. And yet, God has claimed you as his own. And yet, God, through his grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, has brought you into his kingdom. And so because of that, you're you're free to live for others. You're free to give of yourself for others. Because your true king gave of himself for you. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, who's not a Christian, and we were talking about the reasons why he's not a Christian. And one of his biggest reasons was how Christians have engaged the political world. He said, I've just been so turned off by that. He said, I, he's like, if you could invite me to church, I don't think I could hang out with church folk because all I could think about was the negative political world that I've seen them create. Ex-church, friends, you may lean left, you may lean right but man for the sake of the kingdom of god for the sake of people who are far from him let's engage our citizenship let's engage our politics like our king as humble servants seeking the good of others please pray with me lord god this is a hard topic to think about and to talk about and it's so testy Lord but God when Jesus was here he just spoke so clearly about what it is for us to give our allegiance to you to seek first your kingdom to seek first your righteousness to seek first your justice Lord we pray that that would humble us that we can engage the United States our nation that we love in humility and in service but not blindly Lord Teach us to be good citizens, to care for others. Teach us to look to your son, Jesus, and his death for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others, and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.